Brainwaves, hear the world differently, bringing community mental health to you, raising awareness and challenging stigma. Tune in to 3CR Community Radio, Wednesdays at 5pm. Melbourne's Drive Time Radio Program, featuring community organisations, powerful stories and information. Find us at brainwaves.org.au. Proudly sponsored by Wellways Australia. And welcome to Brainwaves on 3CR 855am, 3CR Digital Radio and 3cr.org.au. My name is Kaylin, and from Brainwaves today we have Steph. Uh, and today we are speaking with Paul Lick-Nitsky. Is that right? Did I say That's it wrong? Good. Yeah. No, you got it <laughs> From Mind Medicine Australia, a charity that advocates for safe and effective psychedelic-assisted treatments for mental illness with a particular focus on the use of medicinal psilocybin. Psilocybin? Psilocybin. Psilocybin. Yeah, you can say psilocybin or psilocybin. <laughs> um, and MDMA. In addition to supporting and funding the clinical research, Mind Medicine Australia aims to educate the public and regulators on the potential benefits of these substances in hope that facilitating evidence-based policy changes. Paul Lichnitsky is the Executive Officer of Mind Medicine Australia and has degrees in psychology and neuroscience. He is focused on educating stakeholders and his extensive knowledge of psychedelic research and therapy and developing clinical protocols for the use of these substances that maximise safety and effectiveness. So thanks so much for having a chat with us today, Paul. Yeah, thanks so much for having me. Um, just to start off, what first motivated your interest in the medicinal use of psychedelics? Yeah, so... Um I was knee-deep in a PhD a number of years ago uh, investigating ways in which mindfulness meditation could reduce depression. And uh, I became aware of the beginnings of what is now clearly a resurgence in psychedelic treatment for mm. mental illness um, or, or the research uh, thereof. I basically, I expanded my PhD to include a range of induction methods that uh, both reduce altered states of consciousness and reduce depression, including psychedelics. And over the course of the PhD, the clinical psychedelic research grew exponentially, uh, as did its contribution to my thesis in the end. So basically, I, I was uh, impressed uh, by the early yet uh, remarkable clinical outcomes, what appeared to be a whole different therapeutic mechanism to most of the treatments that are currently on offer. Mm. So were you looking at uh, psychedelics in a similar way to the mindfulness uh, in treating depression? Well, there are similarities and there are many differences too. Mm. One, of the, one of the clear similarities there is that uh, both can be uh, induction methods that produce altered states of consciousness and, and mm -hmm. both have been um, used to treat uh, depression and other mental illnesses. Mm-hmm. You know, for the most part, it seems that the uh, therapeutic mechanisms uh, are quite different. Mm. Could you tell us a little bit more about that and, and about what psychedelic-assisted therapy is and how it might specifically differ from other forms of treatment? Psychedelic-assisted therapy uh, is, uh, simply put, a combination of talk therapy uh, and uh, ingestion of a psychedelic compound. So the Classical psychedelics are exemplified by the substance uh, psilocybin, which is most commonly used in, in the modern era of research. Uh, this is the active ingredient in magic mushrooms. Uh, and other classical psychedelics uh, are uh, LSD and ayahuasca. 
And in the same conversation, uh, we often talk about uh, MDMA-assisted psychotherapy. MDMA is not a classical psychedelic, uh, but it has a number of overlapping uh, features with the classical psychedelics. Mm-hmm. It seems that its usefulness in mental health is quite different to the usefulness of classical psychedelics and its uh, therapeutic mechanisms uh, seem to be different too. In what way do they... Sorry. Yes, sir. <laughs> I, I was just wondering what, how specifically do they differ in their therapeutic mechanisms, MDMA and the more classic psychedelic uh, yeah. compounds? Classical psychedelics with psychotherapy, and it's always important to emphasize that these compounds are considered to be adjunct to psychotherapy. Mm. There is uh, no good evidence to suggest that consuming a psychedelic or MDMA produces reliable clinical outcomes. Mm. In fact, it seems that the non-chemical elements of the treatment approach are just as important as the chemical ones. Mm -hmm. The best evidence we have over the last decade suggests that psilocybin, which is a classical psychedelic, psilocybin-assisted psychotherapy is useful for treating depression, anxiety, and addiction. And there may be other clinical indications too. Some of them have just begun to be explored. Um, and with MDMA-assisted psychotherapy, the best evidence we have clinically is for its ability to reduce post-traumatic stress disorder. Mm. So, again, the, the therapeutic mechanisms remain you know, unclear and people, many people have lots of good ideas. It seems that psilocybin and the classical psychedelics do something to increase the ability to have completely new perspectives on your life and yourself. And uh, these perspectives are not just cognitive. They they come with a a notable felt sense that can motivate long-term changes in the way we think and feel and behave, uh, which is distinct from uh, just uh, some uh, cognitive understanding. Most of us have Mm. many uh, ways in which we uh, understand our behavior to be problematic, but uh, that doesn't necessarily lead to changes in our behavior or or the way we think about things. Uh, It often takes some sort of uh, embodied or emotional encounter with uh, an insight that leads to realizable changes in your life. Um, Whereas MDMA is quite a different kind of utility, it seems, in in the context of post-traumatic stress. One of the things that MDMA affords is the ability to tolerate traumatic memories. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, a key key approach to resolving post-traumatic stress includes uh, exposure therapy, basically, going revisiting those memories and finding uh, new ways to uh, feel and think and relate to those memories. Uh, In many cases, the trauma is so extreme that uh, either the patient is unwilling to go back to those memories or, uh, or, or bringing them up uh, re-traumatizes the patient. So in the context of an MDMA session, you can explore mm. the, uh, the trauma and, and reconfigure your relationship to that trauma just by virtue of the remarkable way in which MDMA produces uh, comfort and relaxation and openness and feelings of uh, connection and compassion. Yeah, wow. So would you say then that, you know, the way that these compounds in their different ways can alter people's states of consciousness and 
like yeah the way that they can do that is what helps people engage kind of with the therapy with yeah like like what you referred to as an in, injunction was it or induction sorry into the therapy is that kind of what you're talking about there the this kind of altered state this kind of felt experience or in terms of MDMA the ability to tolerate the traumatic memories is that kind of the therapeutic value of these uh, compounds a lot of people who go through these experiences in a clinical context describe it uh, as being something like therapy on roids you know like yeah. uh, just uh, over an afternoon what feels like uh, you know 10 years of psychotherapy encounter with uh, yourself or, or, or you know with an altered state uh, in this particular way brings about what they refer to as an afterglow phenomenon whereby mm-hmm. uh, it seems that a critical window of opportunity for psychotherapy to be far more effective in the weeks and months following mm-hmm. uh, the, these kinds of sessions. Certainly it seems to be the case that the acute dose session, which in the case of psilocybin is a 68-hour session, uh, has uh, enormous therapeutic potential if it's set up in the right way. Uh, but also it has the potential to to produce opportunities for psychotherapy thereafter and meditation mm-hmm. and, and perhaps other modalities that allows them to be more effective than usual. One of the ways I like to think about what the psychedelic offers uh, mental health uh, treatment is in terms of a kind of compass or a, or a lantern metaphor. I, mm-hmm. I I, I think of the psychedelic experience or encounter as setting up a reliable compass, uh, something that aligns to your deepest values and your um, most reliable perspective on things. While it shows uh, a way forward, while it shows a way out of your struggle or your darkness, uh, there is still an enormous amount of work to be done. You know, mm-hmm. The compass doesn't get you there. It's not the vehicle. It seems to be the case that, well, in, in, in some some subset of the of the people that are treated, their symptoms are resolved, and that seems to continue for you know many months and sometimes many years. Mm-hmm. Uh, in in other cases, uh, the symptoms will recur uh, over the subsequent months or, or you know many months sometimes. Needless to say, it's the 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 sustained outcomes are impressive uh, when you put them up against the treatments on offer. The sustained outcomes are yeah, off the charts in many cases, but we don't really have a good grasp on what the participants are doing when they exit the program. We all have the capacity to, to be therapists to ourselves to varying degrees, mm-hmm. um, and these are empirical questions, and I think in some sense we need to put in more work in terms of researching how to sustain the change better with non-psychedelic methods after psychedelic encounters. Mm. And is that just kind of, do you think, like the next step in the clinical research? Or Yeah, there are many next steps, uh, as, as many people see it. Mm. Um, certainly that's one gap in the research that I would like to mm-hmm. see addressed, uh, methods of, of sustaining the outcome in terms of psychotherapy practice. Mm. Uh, and also it seems that the potential fertile window of opportunity following a psychedelic encounter uh, may not be leveraged to the degree that it can be with the current uh, 
clinical protocols that are used. There, there's mm-hmm. often not very much psychotherapy that happens in the weeks after, um, right. and perhaps uh, this could be an opportunity to to see whether we can get more sustained and better outcomes if we do more work in that afterglow period. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Paul, specifically, how did Mind Medicine Australia get started and, um, yeah, what, what is it all about? Yeah, so um, the organisation was founded by um, two philanthropists, uh, Peter Hunt and Tony de Jong. Uh, they're both entrepreneurs and have worked in uh, a number of social uh, enterprises uh, over the last many years. They saw the work that was happening in the US and, and now extending into Europe and got in touch with the people who were doing this work. Uh, they noted that, it, that it, yeah, the results were remarkable and uh, they became very excited about the work that was being done overseas. Uh, and when they learned of the projected timelines uh, that the leaders in the field had, they looked to Australia and saw that um, things were barely off the ground at mm. all and, uh, and and wanted to find a way to get Australia up to speed with the, with the rest of the world so that uh, we wouldn't have these um, you know, unnecessary delays uh, from, from the time this treatment might be available overseas and, until it's available here in Australia. So in Australia... You know, work has been done uh, over the last maybe eight years or so, primarily spearheaded by an organisation called PRISM, mm-hmm. uh, and they have had multiple attempts at um, trying to get their um, clinical research trial up in Australia. And due to the prevailing conservatism, primarily in in the world and in in Australia specifically, this. Um, mission of theirs was uh, a frustrated one uh, for the large part of, of the last uh, eight years or so until very recently when uh, they had they've, they've had great success um, prison is a sponsor now of the uh, first Australian psychedelic trial which will be hosted at um, St Vincent's Hospital in Melbourne and uh, is part funded by mind medicine Australia so so mind medicine was set up to to you know basically attempt to bring Australia into the field of uh, psychedelic uh, research and therapy. The, the other crucial uh, aim of, of the organisation is that while it's a long path to doing this research, to you know, getting adequate data, to changing regulations, registering new medicines, etc., uh, when and if the uh, regulation changes, that change will happen overnight. And there is an enormous amount of preparatory work that needs to be done in in terms of um, setting ourselves up for offering safe and effective psychedelic treatments in this country. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's it's uh, a unique therapeutic approach and not just something that will be uh, simply accommodated as another tool in the toolkit. It uh, will require specialist training uh, it'll require a whole different kind of implementation framework that is feasible but but needs some work to be done to make it uh, happen well. And people within uh, the medical fraternity and mental health sectors need to be uh, praised of, of all the unique features of this uh, therapeutic approach. Yeah, so th- th- there are all kinds of things we're busy with at Mind mm-hmm. in Australia to prepare 
prepare the ground for the best chance at uh, safe and effective treatments if and when regulations change. So do you think the regulations um, there's been have set up some resistance and some barriers to the development of clinical trials um, into this type of therapy in Australia and in the world? Yeah, absolutely. The story dates back to Nixon's infamous war on drugs. Mm-hmm. There, there's, a, there's a lot of history uh, that you can look up that really shows how politically motivated the war on drugs was. Yeah. And unfortunately, that war on drugs extended through, um, through international treaties to many countries in the world, and in an unprecedented fashion, uh, blocked not only the therapeutic use of uh, psychedelic-assisted treatments, but blocked the research funding. Mm. And in addition, there was, a, there was a, a propaganda campaign that brought about all kinds of negative views and misinformation around these substances. And so research into psychedelic treatments dried up for decades, mm. something we haven't seen anywhere else uh, in, in, in contemporary uh, research when, uh, you know, in the context of, uh, in particularly in this case, in the context of a treatment approach that really took psychiatry by storm through mm. the 50s and 60s. It was the, it was the next big, big thing. And many tens of thousands of participants went through those early clinical trials in the 50s and 60s, mostly in the U.S., and some in Europe, you know, many with remarkable results. Now, you know, by modern standards, we, we tend to, you know, discount a lot of that early research. Uh, it doesn't hold up to, to methodologies that, that we use today. Mm. Um, but nonetheless, uh, the data that was coming out of these trials and many treatment centers was more than compelling, and uh, this research was shut down for the better part of a few of, of four decades. So Australia is still very much in the long shadow of Nixon's war on drugs, yeah. and uh, we are incrementally uh, moving towards being able to have a mature conversation about this uh, therapeutic yeah. approach. It's important to, to always say this, uh, and, and there might be other contexts in this conversation that I can uh, expand on this, that um, the data is not in yet. Yeah. The, the approach is promising. The early results are remarkable. There are many uh, promising signs on the wall that, uh, that uh, we, may, we may be onto something here, mm. but we need to stay close to the data and uh, be responsible and reliable about it. And currently uh, we have phase three trials that are just kicking off. This is the final step before... Uh, you can register a new medicine. Oh, wow, okay. So and, that's pretty and, uh, close. Yeah, so that's that's happening uh, starting now. Yeah. There are two large multi-site international trials, one for uh, psilocybin-assisted mm. psychotherapy for uh, treatment-resistant depression, mm-hmm. and the other is MDMA-assisted psychotherapy for post-traumatic stress. And so it remains to be seen what uh, comes of these trials, but uh, they have both been given lots called a breakthrough designation by the Food and Drug Administration, yeah. which is the chief regulator in the States. And that designation is given to treatments that uh, are showing remarkable early promise, mm. um, and in, particularly in the, in the face of uh, urgent need. And um, so what happens is the, the FDA basically expedites the whole process. And um, if the results come through on these two trials, there'll be a very rapid streamlined pathway to registering new medicines in the US and Europe and from 
what we hear from people on the ground uh, at the uh, helm of these studies, mm. the uh, forecast is uh, 2021. So that's yeah. soon. Yeah. And I mean, the, the recent legalization of, or decriminalization of psilocybin in, where was it, Arizona or somewhere? Is that kind of a... Denver, yeah. Um, I don't no, know if that's connected to is, that at all. I know that's a different kind of... Yeah, it's part of a, um, a broader movement to less yeah. conservatism around drugs yeah. and, and less of that Nixonian influence, for mm-hmm. sure. But it is important to distinguish between yes. clinical and non-clinical uh, use yeah. and applications. And, you know, in a sense, um, they are unrelated in, in most ways and potentially, you know, it's not always predictable the ways in which changes to recreational or non-clinical use affect changes to mm-hmm. clinical use. So as we saw in the 60s, psychedelics so you know escaped the lab as they say or, or, or were thrown over the wall of the clinic um, and the the result for clinical applications of psychedelics was negative in the end because mm-hmm. you know, there was there was a, a huge uh, countercultural movement that was in you know by many people's uh, count was fueled heavily by LSD um, and for all its uh, positive effects in the world that you can argue about. Um, it was uh, instrumental in resistance to the war in Vietnam and, and other issues that uh, Nixon uh, found problematic. And so uh, the, the research into this uh, very promising clinical yeah. uh, approach was, was stopped. All right. So, Paul, could you share with us, elaborate a little bit on some of the risks associated with the use of these drugs in a clinical setting? Yeah, absolutely. So, firstly, it's important to note that the physiological toxicity of classical psychedelics like psilocybin and LSD is um, practically negligible. Um, these are among the safest kinds of substances uh, we can consume. And while there are uh, various kinds of toxicity effects associated with MDMA at very high dose, high frequency, at the uh, low dose and low frequency of uh, clinical protocols, uh, MDMA is also incredibly safe physiologically. Uh, so the risks are psychological. These are not uh, trivial and uh, outside of a clinical context, they can be uh, very problematic. This is one of the reasons why the adequate preparation and clinical context is so important for not only uh, the effectiveness of this treatment approach, but also the safety of it. So the psychological risks, for the most part, include things like uh, challenging personal experiences and, and anxiety and panic, uh, and also potentially re-traumatization. But what's important to note is that uh, over the last 15 years of uh, clinical research into psilocybin and LSD and MDMA, uh, the uh, psychological risks have been minimized to very, very uh, small uh, and, and, and um, completely manageable uh, levels. So there, there are some clear protocols around uh, safety and, and um, mitigating these risks, and uh, when they're enacted, 
this seems to be an incredibly safe uh, form of treatment. It's, it's worth saying as well that uh, it's, uh, while, it, while it's safe uh, when done well, these are among the most challenging experiences, the psychedelic experience at least, is among the most challenging experiences for many people who go mm. through these trials. So it's a big encounter, it's a big experience, and that's uh, what you would expect if you were to have uh, a single uh, session that ha could possibly have uh, profound uh, clinical outcomes, yeah. uh, particularly in the context of, of participants, uh, patients who have been struggling with uh, some mental illness for decades. And, and we see this uh, in the literature. We see uh, so-called treatment-resistant patients, patients that have tried mm -hmm. multiple therapeutic approaches and maybe had uh, struggled with a mental illness for decades in cases, and a single encounter or maybe a couple of encounters with psychotherapy before and after can result in complete remission for many, many months and possibly years. Uh, so it's a powerful experience. Uh, the, uh, the, the level of challenge is, is high too psychologically, uh, but uh, most people report the experience as being among the most important and meaningful of their lives, um, yeah, well. even though it was challenging. Yeah, so it's a, it's a powerful experience, but yeah, not to be taken lightly or yeah, assume that recreational use is the same as clinical use because it sounds like it's not at all. It's very, it's a very different thing. Um, yeah, before absolutely. before we finish up, could you just share with our listeners how people can learn more about the work that you're doing with Mind Medicine Australia? Yeah, absolutely. So I'd encourage everybody interested in this uh, work to hop onto our website, uh, mindmedicineaustralia.org, and uh, there you can subscribe if you'd like to be in the loop about. Uh, current events and um, changes in uh, regulation and policy overseas and uh, research uh, outcomes. Um, also, you can uh, contact us uh, if you'd like to volunteer or if you'd like to help out in any way. Uh, there are many projects that we are um, pursuing at the moment. Uh, they include developing a new clinical training protocol, for example, so I'm keen to engage with uh, clinicians and uh, mental health workers uh, and therapists around that. Um, there are um, the options for uh, pursuing research programs. Uh, there are uh, events that will be coming up that we'll be running, or, or, you know, talking events and uh, documentary events. So there's a lot happening, and uh, I just encourage everyone interested in this to hop onto the website and subscribe or get in touch with me or Great. Well, thank you so much for coming on the show today, Paul. It's been a great conversation. Yeah, thank you so much for having me. I appreciate it. Thank you, Paul, um, and thank you, Steph, as well. Um, just so that you know, you can find out more of our shows at website uh, brainwaves.org.au or on the 3CR website, 3cr.org.au on iTunes. Feel free to send us feedback uh, or suggestions for the shows via email at brainwaves.wellways.org. Um, thanks for listening and we'll be back next Wednesday at 5pm for another episode of Brainwaves.